0: Hi, hey, welcome back to Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with 1L. With me, he was supposed to go down to the Toshi station to pick up some power converters, Mr. Jeff McLarchuge. Hey, everybody.
1: Hey there, Bill. Thanks. It's been a a long week, and it's nice to be here chatting with you about other weeks that are better than this one.
0: Last year, for an example. For example. So, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? Not much.
1: Just uh, everyday stuff. All the regular things, you know, generic, general, general, generic, <laughs> general, generic stuff. Nothing special, you know, or we're, we're coming into the autumn here and uh, doing some outdoor soccer. It's all fun.
0: So uh, I, I know you've seen this movie because uh, we actually kind of watched it together, but I watched this movie last weekend. It, it, it was a movie that was sent to me because I have a fear of baboons and somebody likes to send me these things. So they sent me this movie called Shockma. It's the. It's about. It's a horror movie. Uh, laughingly called a horror movie. <laughs> it's about uh, the world's most aggressive primate. It takes it. It's a what a weird movie, dude. It like takes place in this animal facility, but like after hours, they're all playing this like elaborate Dungeons and Dragons hide and seek kind of game.
1: Uh, it seems to have all been shot in the same hallway. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> It features the most uh, condensed collection of unlikable characters in the history of film. And as a bonus, and not to spoil anybody who hasn't seen this movie, but they all die. So it has a lot going for it. Yeah, Christopher
0: Atkins, who everybody would best know from The Blue Lagoon, he's like the last girl in this movie.
1: And it's funny because every time he squints, you can see he's like 48 years old. (laughs) And he's supposed to be like a college sophomore or senior. this film also features Roddy McDowell who in the last like ten or twelve years of his life literally took any scripts that was put in front of him. Right. So I'm sure it was he sort of looked at it like, It's a movie about a terrifying monkey. <laughs> well I'll be in that. And there he went. Off to that. So he did Fright Night, which was great, and he did this movie which was Ass on a stick.
0: Then <laughs> now Amanda Weiss is in it as well. Now Amanda Weiss is the first girl in the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Right. And she was also Lane Myers' girlfriend from. Beth. Yeah, Beth from yeah. Uh, Better Off yeah. Dead. Now, no, most notably for me, who was in this movie, outside of The Monkey, is this actress, Ari Myers or Ari Myers.
1: <laughs> yes, she was from a TV show.
0: Right, exactly. We're roughly the same age. She was on this television show when I was a teen called Kate and Allie. So, yeah. so here I was. I'm 15, she's 15, she's cute as a button. I'm 15, you know?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Like, she never really did anything after. I don't remember seeing her in, like, anything else or whatever. No, I
1: don't, I don't think so. I think she did a bunch of, like, guest shots and other stuff. Right. And, and even kind of as
0: an adult, even as an adult, like, when you, I got the internet, I remember saying, I wonder what happened to Ari Myers." And at that time, I literally could find three pictures of her. And one of them was a still from Kate and Alley, right? <laughs> yep.
1: So. There weren't any stills from Shakima Because she has about 25 minutes of running back and forth in that same hallway uh, in that film. <laughs>
0: that much, you think? I doubt it. At one point, we made a, a comment that, you know how George Lucas tends to have like three stories going on at the same time and he flips back and forth between them yeah. so the movie stays at a good pace? Well, this movie tried that too, except for the Ari e. Myers story arc. It's like the director forgot about it.
1: Her story arc was she had to wait for all the other characters to find her. Right. So they would, every now and then they would cut to a reaction shot of her sitting by herself on the sixth floor of a building yeah. where there was nobody and her like sort of staring maniacally at herself in a mirror or or were, like walking around in little circles.
0: There was so. one point they showed her and I was like, who the hell is, oh wait, her, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so I looked up her IMDb and uh, like her most recent credit is um, she's like one of the people that yells at you when you drive by uh, in Grand Theft Auto Five.
1: Oh well, that's a career track yeah, to well, keep on right there.
0: Good work if you can get it, I guess. Hey, I guess, yeah. The f- if you really want to see something hilarious, look up on YouTube a video Shakma hates doors. <laughs>
1: It's very funny. And and if you really want to watch the whole video, although I can't recommend that you do that unless you have a lot of friends to watch it with and pizza and stuff, the whole video is also on
0: YouTube. With Spanish subtitles.
1: With Spanish subtitles. So you could also get a language lesson while you watch the worst actors in the history of acting.
0: And the best part is in some of the Spanish subtitles, it actually says applause. (laughs) 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 Applause, (laughs) yes. It's like they were recording their own laugh track. ma. All right, so this is going to be the week beginning, September the 7th, and we will let you start.
1: In 2006, Sasha Baron Cohen's character, a breakout character from his show, The L.E.G. Show, had his film, Borat, premiered at the Toronto Film Festival.
0: I cannot, like, watch that movie without a diaper, basically. <laughs>
1: first time i've ever been in a movie theater and i laughed myself to the point where i physically couldn't laugh anymore so the last 20 minutes of the film i just sort of sat there with my mouth open but no sound came out yep everything was so funny that i just my body just started to shut all the muscles down i probably because i would die if i kept laughing
0: organ failure yeah organ <laughs> failure It was
1: the, that is the f- one of the funniest movies i've ever seen in my entire life and i've only ever seen it once
0: Oh no, sir. Yeah. Oh, I've yep. seen a bunch of times. My uh, I was dating this girl Dawn at the time. We went. We were at her house, and her brother was like, "Oh my God, I just went to see that Borat movie. You need to see it." I had never really heard too much about Sasha Baron Cohen at that point, so I just kind of like shrugged. But uh, Dawn and I went. I'm sitting there just like laughing through my teeth like the whole time, just you know doing my best not because I have a really ugly laugh, you know, right. and I didn't want to like cackle like a an insane witch in the middle of the theater. Right, right. So I'm doing my best to stifle myself, and my initial thought was, I need to show this movie to my friend Jim, because my friend Jim has an amazing sense of humor. He laughs at everything, you know. Right. And whenever the scene came out, whenever his friend and manager or whatever the his, his counterpart was.
1: Yeah, he was his. He was his manager. Yeah,
0: whenever those two were. Chasing after each other completely naked in the middle of the hotel conference section. I honestly thought Jim was going to crap himself. He was laughing so hard.
1: Well, that was a very, very funny, funny segment of that. Yeah, that big fight. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, unfortunately, it got it's, you know, so quotable that, like, at that time, 2006, probably straight through to, like, 2000, I don't know. yeah I'm not sure when it quite petered off. It still happens from time to time. You know, people will do their unbelievably bad Borat impersonations. Right.
1: You notice I did not try to do mine. Right.
0: <laughs> the podcast that you and I both like quite a bit, the comedy button, you'll notice that nobody can say my wife without somebody just echoing back my wife <laughs> uh, right, right. Uh, yeah did you ever see the follow-up did you see bruno
1: i did not see bruno no it's uh, it's been recommended to me a yeah. bunch of times though
0: it's you know it's similar kind of kamikaze style uh mm-hmm. comedy it's different it's 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 it, i mean borat is arguably the better of the two but yeah right. bruno definitely has its moments
1: did, did you watch any of his his show who is america that was on Showtime
0: last year or the year before. I did not have Showtime, so no.
1: So that was that was a really interesting show. He did the same sort of stuff where he would, he'd be in costume as a character mm-hmm. and he'd go and meet with people who didn't know who he was. Right. And then they would say the most ridiculous and idiotic things to him because they thought he was somebody who was famous and was going to get their media attention somewhere else. Oh, sure. It had its moments that were really, really funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some that weren't, but some that were really funny. And he has a new set of characters that he kind of does, and it was it was a, definitely fun to fun to watch and catch up with.
0: All right, moving on to September the eighth. Oh boy, <laughs> this guy is an American hero and also best name ever. So September the eighth, nineteen seventy four. Evil Knievel attempts to jump over Snake River Canyon,
1: and he fails miserably. Yeah, I
0: don't remember evil knievel ever succeeding at anything he must have at least once
1: yeah he made a bunch of successful jumps like he used to get featured on the wide world of sports uh-huh. all the time that's where i remember seeing him. Yeah. i may not have seen him do the the snake river canyon jump mm-hmm on this date, unless this date was a Sunday. <laughs> and that's when Wild Wilder Sports was on. But he did do a bunch of successful jumps. He jumped 10 buses that was successful. He jumped nine buses that was successful. He jumped 12 buses that was successful. See, I re- see, He jumped 13 buses that was unsuccessful. 14 yeah. buses that was unsuccessful. I think, th- Yeah, I think
0: that's what happens. <laughs> Some others like, unsuccessful. It's like, I mean, it's all about ratings. And nobody wants to see this guy do it. People want to see right. this guy eat <laughs> you know? The Caesars Palace jump, I remember that one. Because it was like, yeah, I did it. And then it's like he almost fell asleep when he was in the air. Because when he landed, that was it. You know he lit, he right. did the jump fine. It's just that parking afterwards was a. Dr- <laughs> it's, it's, you're
1: right. It's the the landing that's the hard right. part. And then this that, that
0: was there's that other okay. one too. I forget how many buses it was he was jumping. Whenever you see him come down on the landing, he lands fine. And then in slow motion, you just see that front wheel wobble 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 <laughs> wobble, and then he just shoots flies over the handlebars and just like yeah
1: that's. That was the thirteen bus. I saw that one too when he did that one. And he goes, he goes rolling, like tied up with his motorcycle, rolling and rolling and rolling. And then he slides down and rolls down the ramp and then rolls to the side. <laughs> and they run down and they pick him up and and they they they, ask, they 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 get his helmet off and he's like he starts trying to talk about how like he couldn't get the motorcycle into the power band that it needed to be mm-hmm. in. Nobody gives a shit. About that, they just want to make sure he's still alive, and he's trying to explain why he wasn't able to make the jump because there was some technical problem. And he was like, "I think that he broke every single bone in
0: his body." Like you know, when you go, you have like a, a spork in the bag, and you just like break it up. That must that must have been him. Like all his bones right. at the bottom. Yeah,
1: hilariously, like Evil Can Evil became the sort of the. Joke character on the first or second season of The Simpsons of Lance Murdoch oh, right, right, was the, the stunt guy and that Bart Simpson loved who, who was jumping a swimming pool with a great white shark and a lion mm. in it and didn't make it over the pool yeah. <laughs> and then he swam to safety because the lion and shark were fighting and just as he was crawling out they pulled him back in and tried
0: <laughs> to eat him. And then there was the Super Dave Osborne show, too.
1: Super Dave Osborne, yeah, the famous Canadian who would do all the stunts that usually involved him being thrown off the top of a building or crushed in a car crusher and saying horrible, horrible things.
0: (laughs) All right, moving on.
1: All right, September 9th, 1999. Sega releases the ill-fated and company-destroying Dreamcast which I happen to have uh, one of, their last standalone video game
0: console. Was that the last one or was that, be- was that after the Saturn?
1: Yeah, Saturn was their 32-bit one okay. and Dreamcast was their 64-bit All one. Right. And uh, it was ahead of its time and it was behind the times at the same time, which really seems really weird. Hmm. It played, you know, sort of DVD-based games. It had a modem built into it for uh, 56K, I think, and you could put a... You could put an add-on on on it that gave it the ability to to, to use Ethernet. Um, It was built on a Linux operating system, so you could run Linux in it as well. And it just never caught on. It was expensive. It came out without any fanfare. They announced that it was going to be released, and then they just dropped it on the market. It didn't have a good slew of games when it was released either. Uh, It's still fun. I uh, I have, like I said, I have it. I have some of the games that were fun, like Panzer Dragoon and Resident Evil Code Veronica. But a lot of the titles were less than good.
0: Right now, that would have if that's ninety nine. That means it would have been coming up against like PlayStation Two.
1: It, yep, and
0: it did, and, and it got destroyed. Oh yeah, PlayStation Two. Just I mean, it it's still I mean that's still an amazing system even by today's standards. I think the PlayStation Two was the number one selling gaming console until like fairly recently. I think the PlayStation Four is now.
1: Yeah, I think it got beat up by Xbox for a while. Yep. And then Playstation Four kinda of took took it back over. Right.
0: But yeah, the Dreamcast, I uh yeah, I was already hooked on PlayStation by that point. I've had all the Playstations, I, I haven't deviated from that too much. I do remember being very tempted because one of the last games, if you can call it that, and I don't even remember the name of it, maybe you will. They came there was like an AI that they had for it. It was like a fish. And yeah. you could like talk to yeah. it and it would like learn and talk back to you. Yeah,
1: I can't remember the name of that game either. Um, that was one that was always way more expensive and required peripherals that I wasn't ever going to be able to afford or buy.
0: Hi, we're a system in our death throes. Why don't you buy expensive <laughs> stuff?
1: It's great. It'll make it more fun.
0: So, all right, we'll hear more about that later. Right now, we're going to move on to September the September 10th. September 10th. Yes. September 10th, 1975, KISS releases their Alive album. Yeah. What a great time to be alive, let me tell you. Um, uh, this, uh, You could probably do an entire show about that album Because there's so much yep. to be said We remember Kiss as just being this Absolute juggernaut Phenomenal, you know Larger than life band But before Kiss alive Kiss could barely get themselves arrested yep. You know Now that album was recorded at Cobol Hall in Detroit Kiss for whatever reason was really really popular at that, In that area of the country but everywhere else they were still like playing clubs or they were just an opening act. But they could sell out right. Cobalt Hall in Detroit. They weren't doing well. Their record company wasn't doing well. It was kind of like
1: Oh, Casablanca was in the death throes of massive at, cocaine at problems that, and that's yeah, why at that point yeah. all their money was gone.
0: So yeah, so they just put all their money on black, so to speak, and rolled the dice which is two completely different gambling references yeah they put out this double album and because kiss was much better a live band than they were a studio band I don't know what happened but that album
1: just sold well I mean it sounded really good I think that's part right. of it from what I remember they they took a couple of different recordings it wasn't just the Cobo arena show oh. there was there were some other ones that they that they mixed in as well and Oh, then they, you
0: don't know do you
1: no and then they overdubbed some of it later but, as some well of it. so.
0: Some of it, that album is about as alive as nothing.
1: Yeah, it's like Frampton Comes Alive, where you can hear the if you listen like to Frampton Comes Alive, you can hear the same like Yeah lines every now and then. It's like the same little piece of recorded clapping that's the, being played.
0: Uh, the ending of the concert where you can hear everybody everybody going, We want kiss, we want kiss. Yeah. yeah. That was never ha- that actually never happened. That was all done with uh with sound bars. Nice. Where they would just like raise the volume up and down to make it sound like they were saying we want kiss. So hey, it
1: doesn't matter though. Like the the key is the end result, right? Oh it's, yeah, it's it's live that's better than live. Yeah. You know, and and it was meant to sort of I don't know. I guess it captures what a live performance is like. I guess
0: right. That was like the problem too. At kisses, like whenever they had their albums come out, everyone kept telling them they go, "This doesn't sound like you because you right. you sound so much different live." Right. Uh, so that album did really encompass like what they sounded like live. They're a very you know raw kind of a band. And ironically enough, the next album they put out, Destroyer, came out the same year. At that yep. point, at that point, they were putting out like a couple of albums every year. But right. the, the very same year they put out the album Destroyer that was produced by Bob Ezrin who would go on to do Pink Floyd The Wall. Right. Okay so the guys very into sound effects, very into orchestration and stuff like that. So you listen to Destroyer and it's like there's all these like violins and stuff like that. It's like people were complaining that Kiss didn't sound like Kiss on their albums and then they just like put out that album but it doesn't sound like anything, you know.
1: Yeah. With all these I remember, sound stuff um, and stuff like just that. Just as a little kid I had I had Destroyer and I had Rock and Roll Over mm-hmm. that I played the the hell out of when I was little.
0: Right. Destroyer arguably is their best album, but it's so weird just because it's so overproduced. I still have a lot of the Kiss vinyl. I recently bought a record player, so I went down in my cellar and I busted out all my Kiss records and I was like, wow, I should have really taken better care of my stuff. <laughs> Side note: yeah. My Peter Chris solo album plays perfectly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a that's a shame
0: because <laughs> it <they> never could play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's move on to September the 11th. September the
1: 11th. So for folks like Bill and me, for folks like my my son Ian, it's not the birth of home video gaming, but it is the birth of mature home video gaming. So this is when 1977, the Atari 2600, also originally known as the Atari Video
0: Computer System VCS. Yep. The
1: VCS was released in North America, and it revolutionized home video gaming because it was two-player. It had joysticks. It wasn't just Pong. If I remember correctly, it shipped with Combat, which was a tank battle, an airplane battle, jets, and an airplane battle with, like, biplanes. It was super fun. Everybody in the whole wide world wanted to have one. Oh, yeah, everybody. From 77 until the, sometime in the... I mean, they, they made those things until the late 80s. Yeah.
0: It went from you want to come over and listen to some records to you want to come yeah. over and play Atari. Play Atari, yeah. Yep. I actually have a crooked knee because of the amount of um, time I spent playing video games as a kid. I uh, Like, I had an Atari and i would just sit my mother loved it because it would shut me up you know i would sit in front of it in what they call the w you're you're kneeling down but your legs are like by your side so your legs form the shape of a w yeah they tell your parents don't let your kids sit like that because it messes up their knees that's what happened to your friend bill
1: so if you were to go to an orthopedic doctor and say doc there's something up with my knee he'd examine your knee and say that's we call that atari syndrome
0: (laughs) you had an atari didn't you i could tell by your Busted up knee and your weird blistered thumbs. What would you say your go-to game, your favorite, your favorite Atari game, if you had, oh, if you my, if you had my, to pick my, one?
1: My favorite Atari. Game. I can I can remember that I loved Adventure, even though it was basically moving a square around a bunch of other squares uh, and dodging some sort of duck-looking dragons. Yep. That was the first game that I really wanted to play, and a friend had brought it to my house to show, yep. to show my parents and me and my two brothers what the Atari could do. So we ultimately bought one later. Right. But seeing that game was captivating. It was just amazing to see. That was the first game,
0: I believe, that had an actual ending to it.
1: Yes, and it had an Easter egg in there with, like, you could go in and see the the name of the guy that programmed it. And right. Everything. Yep. It was it was super immersive, and you wouldn't think that something that was like basically four colors. Could be that immersive but it was and then once we had our own system the game that i wanted more than any in the world was defender uh because that was my favorite coin-op game really I wasn't good i wasn't good at it as a coin-op
0: nobody's good at it
1: and i was terrible at it
0: that is the hardest game in the freaking planet i'm an adult yep. I'm an adult, and I went to an arcade. And I was like, "Well, maybe now that I'm a little co- more coordinated or whatever, and I actually uh, understand, yeah. I could un- I could play Defender." I so- went to try to play an old Defender game. No, that game is freaking impossible. Nobody is good at that game. But the Atari one was fun. I remember that.
1: That was my favorite, and the one that I wanted most of all. And I played that one until I got incredibly frustrated and probably broke a couple of joysticks over it.
0: Uh, my my favorite game probably was by it was by Activision. It was called Sea Hunt. Uh-huh. Do you remember that one? Yeah, you shoot the submarines. Yeah, there was submarines and there was sharks, and you had to sha- uh, shave. You have to shave divers because they're all.
1: <laughs> that must be the special edition yeah. if you're shaving yeah. divers. You know,
0: because when you have a, a beard, it doesn't make a good seal on the scuba <laughs> gear. So you have to shave. <laughs> you have to shave the divers. Yes. And uh, and that game was just—it was one of those games that just got a little harder with each level. Like some games, like by level 5 you're okay and then level 6 you can't do it. This one just got a little harder and a little harder and a little harder every time you every level you passed to the point where you know the last level it's like right. it's like super frantic that when you right. start over and you go back to the first level again you're like wow this is boring and slow. But yeah, I liked that one a lot and I liked uh of course Pitfall.
1: Right. Yeah, everybody loved Pitfall. Yeah. Pitfall was Pitfall was fun. I remember Mega Mania which was one that That was I
0: another Activision before. game. Yeah.
1: I wanted that one and interesting the tubes The band The Tubes played the song on the commercial. Oh really? Megamania! That was Fee bill in the tubes. That's
0: awesome. I wanted. Well, oh, see, yep. that's why I listened to this show so I can learn stuff. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> yeah, and that was like a sort of Space Invaders type ripoff, but it was a little bit more surreal and strange. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: and I remember. I remember that one. Waiting
1: for my mom to come back from the toy store, Child World, with that c- cartridge, and like pacing the house until she got there.
0: And uh, a couple of we- a couple of weeks ago, months ago, whatever, we had talked about Pac Man and how awful it was on the Atari. <laughs> the
1: vast majority of atari titles that came from the arcade to the vcs were disappointing pac-man being the most disappointing of them yeah and yet i still owned it oh, yeah. and i hated pac-man as a coin-op yep. too and um space but, they did
0: a good job of space Invaders, but i mean how could you fail i think the only thing they got wrong was they made it too easy yeah. space evaders. I like that you
1: could, if you held down the select button when you restarted it, you could have the double shot.
0: Oh, right, right. But that was the only way I could beat that game. All right, let's move on to September the 12th. September the 12th. So September the 12th, 1940, cave paintings are discovered in Lascaux, France. They estimate their date to be 15,000 BCE.
1: And you can still see these online. They're, they're all up and available.
0: View. Yeah, that's um, on my bucket. Sure the link is that is so on my bucket list. I want to see ca- uh, like cave paintings. You don't have to go all the way to France. There are some in America, mm-hmm. not many, but there there are some in America. But I would that's like on a bucket list of mine. Too. I'd love to see cave paintings. It's so the, crazy. The ones that
1: I've. The- the ones that I've seen are they're beautiful pictures of animals and handprints and stuff. But the, like the animal ones are really detailed, and you get a really good idea of what the folks that lived there and were making these drawings could see every day. Right. Now apparently there were a lot of like water buffalo type animals because there are tons of those pictures of them in there.
0: You can just see Ugg talking. What that's supposed to be?
1: <laughs> that not look like water buffalo. <laughs> You put horn on the wrong side.
0: First art critics, and that's so crazy too. Fifteen thousand years ago,
1: like, its hard to believe that. I mean, in the grand scheme of time, though, that's that's just a flicker. Yeah, that's yeah, it's, it's a blip. It's it's minuscule. It's nothing. Right,
0: and in the, even in the grand scheme of the human race, they figured that we're we've been around for two hundred thousand years. Right. You know, so that's just yeah. yeah, nothing.
1: Yeah, all that you know, the, the preceding one hundred eighty-five thousand. I think we were probably looking for like ways to make good paint. <laughs>
0: I can't clean brush.
1: It's just tough, hard, nut. not make good red. <laughs> uh, I'm going to admit here, I spend an awful lot of time, probably more time than any rational person my age, watching dinosaur videos or dinosaur information videos on YouTube. And one of the things that comes across is, like, the, the Dimetrodon uh, was, you know, alive from 264 to 230 million years ago. Wait a minute. That's a long span, and that's a really long time ago. Right. You know, we're talking about 15,000 years, and they're talking, like, they lived for 60 million years right. between... St- developing and becoming extinct you know
0: yeah that's that's like i was just reading about like the nearest galaxy over andromeda and that is two and a half million light years away so even what you're looking at you know like through a telescope or whatever that happened two and a half million years ago yes that's yep. kooky that's I, I i can't even get my head around that it's not a really a lot you can wax on about uh ug hey
1: hey now
0: about uh, a took a zag <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's move on to the last of the the week, September the thirteenth. What do you got?
1: Nineteen sixty nine. Scooby Doo, where are you? Premieres on Saturday morning. Yay! Funny, kind of a funny thing with Scooby Doo, where are you? Is that it? Sort of, it changed. Saturday morning cartoons, so that dozens upon dozens upon dozens of copies, even sometimes from the same studio, in style, would come out. Because Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? was really popular. So you ended up with stuff like Jabberjaw. Yep. Which was a bunch of people and a shark that solved crimes. Josie and the Pussycats, which is a bunch of girls and a cat
0: that solved crimes. Yeah, there were girls in a band and a cat.
1: Captain Caveman was a bunch of girls in a caveman who solved crimes. Like, just across the board, across the board, uh, duplicates of this, including even a a Three Stooges cartoon, which was pretty much the Three Stooges, and no one, and they tried to solve mysteries. And then
0: later on, you had turned me on to, on Adult Swim, Mike Tyson's Mysteries.
1: (laughs) Mike Tyson's Mysteries, which is another riff of Scooby-Doo, yes. With Mike Tyson as Mike Tyson, and Norm MacDonald as Pigeon, and uh, that show's incredibly funny. Yes. So, Scooby-Doo, where are you? A couple live-action films. Uh, there's a new one out. or well, There was a new one out. Oh, it was a new cartoon. Summer. Oh, a new cartoon. yeah, yeah. And, uh, it was just called Scoob. Yeah, that's the one that has uh, Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt in it as well. Oh, really? The cartoon, they were- cartoon characters that I love. Yeah, they they were born out of Scooby-Doo. I remember um, uh,
0: Blue Falcon and Dino My brother loved them. Yeah, Blue
1: Falcon was voiced by uh, Gary Marshall, I think. Oh, Really? Yeah, I think so. I think that was him. Uh, do you remember on Scooby-Doo when they had like the guest stars? Yes. So it would be Scooby-Doo, like there was one with Scooby-Doo and like Vincent Price and Scooby-Doo and Batman. and. Yep, absolutely. So, and that was really confusing
0: yeah, that, because Casey Kasem at that time did the voice for Robin, voice and, for Robin yeah. and Shaggy. Yep. Going back to Kiss for a second, Kiss made that Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, which yeah. was like a live action Scooby-Doo, if you think about yes. it, right? It was, yes. it was.
1: It was. Imagine it was. A, imagine it as a live-action Scooby Doo, where all of a sudden Scoob and the gang just give up and not not really want to do any more mystery talking. At the, yeah. And but they still have to kill it two days at the park,
0: right? Yeah, that's what that was like. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and it, I mean, it's of no surprise that it was put out by the same people. It's by Hanna Barbera. Peter, Chris, and Ace fairly both of them, was just had it with that whole process. But especially Peter, Chris, he didn't come back to do the overdubs. <laughs> So they had, like, a voice actor, Michael Bell, who did all sorts of stuff for Hanna-Barbera. So you're over there watching Kiss Me, the Phantom. And Gene Simmons doesn't, like, say anything. He just kind of, like, growls, right? Yeah. Ace Fairley just goes, ah, all the time, for I don't remember the exact reason. Nope, and, neither, neither do I. And, you know, Paul Stanley reads like he's reading off of, of, a, of a billboard. And then um, and then Peter Chris is, like, the only one that has any kind of, like, flow to his voice, but you're like... Why does this guy sound like a cartoon? Because it, it, he is.
1: <laughs> he's a guy, a cartoon voice actor. The funny thing is, like, I think that happens whenever you take people who are yep. who are not actors and you plunk them down into like a production where they have to say the right. same ten things over and over again until they get it right, and eventually they just crack uh-huh. and they can't do it anymore. You end up with stuff like Peter Chris going like, "That's it, I'm out of here," Whew, and take it off, and then they have to, you know, finish finish the movie with a post production sound using a
0: cartoon voice what? actor. To- <laughs> I remember what the thing was with Ace Freely. Okay. So, what was it? They had the, the people that were going to write the script come in and just like spend a day or so with the guys at KISS to get a feeling <laughs> of like, you know, who they are, what they talk like, and this, that, and the other, so they could like write the dialogue right. and stuff, right? Dr- Trunks right? and Yeah, and Yeah, Ace Freely is a seven. mess, right? And. <laughs> Ace, you know, he, his character was the spaceman, and he was a bit of a space shot. So right. he would just right. make this ah! noise every once in a while. So they thought that's how he talked. So that that was his dialogue in most of the movie. Just well, his paranoid. That was dialogue noise. in the whole movie. All nice. right. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move on to okay. the celebrity birthday. All right, so September
1: seventh is nineteen fifty one. Gave us Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders. I she's never like want to see that pocket.
0: woman's eyebrows. They're like a perfect mystery to me. Yeah, she's she is paid for by the International Banks Commission. <laughs> Fun, inter- interesting fact: If you ever see a picture of Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols, and he has a uh, padlock around his neck. Uh, that was his necklace. He could not get that off because it was too tight. It was Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders who put that on him.
1: I, I can't remember which uh, documentary I watched about the early punk years, and there was a great line from her where she said, oh, when everybody was doing speed, it was great. Mm-hmm. Like, we were all here, and like it was super creative, and Everybody was in the scene. It was great. And then we went back. We toured the United States. And while we were gone, somebody had introduced heroin in London. And when we came back, everything was destroyed. And then it destroyed everything in the United States, too. It was really weird to see. To see if, like somebody who was there as a technically a proto-punk. Yeah. She was one of the early, early ones this, right. to watch, watch this devastation happen.
0: And it destroyed her band, too. Yeah, yep. Uh, not the same documentary. It was a different one, but it was Chrissy Hines. Another great quote was they asked her, they go, you know, what ultimately killed punk? And she just goes... We got better. And then they started playing like more modern music from the Pretenders that wasn't so I thought that was really cool. Yep. All right, so September right. the 8th, 1979, Pink. Uh I don't really know a lot about her. All I know is that she could probably kick my ass.
1: <laughs> There's a great live show that uh that was on. I think it was on HBO. Mm-hmm. a few years back that I watched with my brother I thought it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, she seems like she's a hell of a performer.
1: Happy birthday, Pink. September 9th, 1966, Adam Sandler.
0: Oh, it's his birthday. <laughs> we say happy birthday name? in a funny voice.
1: So, yes, yeah, so born born up here in, I think, Manchester, New Hampshire, he still comes up here. I guess he still has family in a house up here, too. Oh, wow. There are some certain diners you go to, and they have, like, the Adam Sandler seat, which is where they, they make it honorary because he still goes there to get a hamburger now and then, and... Uh, I guess he's super low key when he comes up here, but you know if you watch um, movie he made the the holiday movie, animated holiday movie he made, um, the way that that's structured, it's like it's all built into the Salem, uh, New Hampshire mall.
0: Oh right, it's,
1: yeah. It's it's made to look like that place. So
0: oh, I never picked up on that. Wow.
1: Twelve was it? Twelve holy nights or something? I can't remember the name of it. Uh, eight
0: eight eight crazy nights.
1: Eight Crazy Nights, yes. It's showing both my ignorance of Jewish holidays and my ignorance of counting. So, but yes, Adam Sandler, 1966.
0: Going on to September the 10th. Uh, I only included this one because people love to make fun of my accent. Uh, September the 10th, 1929, Arnold Palmer. <laughs> Hold let me say, so, say so, it again. Arnold Palmer.
1: And for those of you who aren't from New England, <laughs> Arnold Palmer.
0: You know, if I try to say his name without an accent, it sounds even worse. It's Arnold Palmer. It's That's terrible. Arnold uh,
1: don't uh, yep.
0: very famous golfer and also very famous iced tea lemonade 50/50 split cool and refreshing
1: jumping in jumping ahead to September 11th uh, 1977 Ludacris is born and if i had to name a ludacris song i couldn't but i remember that he was in some of the fast and the furious movies yes and uh, he was uh, very funny he, i think yeah. he plays Tej that's his character's name right Sure. He was in Fast and Furious 2 and 4, 5, and all the other ones, subsequent ones after that.
0: All right. September the 12th, 1955, original MTV VJ, Nina Blackwood. Nina
1: Blackwood. She used to be the, when MTV started, there were two female DJs. There was Martha Quinn, who was very cute, and there was yep. Nina Blackwood, who was very hot. Yes, Nina Blackwood still has a show on satellite radio where she still plays the same songs that she was playing in like 1982 mm-hmm. and still has to talk about them like she's just telling you about them for the very first time. <laughs> and she sounds like she's approximately 753 years old. So if you tune into tune into the channel, the 80s channel, you hear like, this is Nina Blackwood. <laughs> and she'll talk about Huey Lewis and the News. We're a great band. I remember the first time we played them in 1983. When I was really a when I was
0: a kid watching her, it always kind of like like I would just like be fascinated at how much her head kind of like jerked around when she talked. It was like a bird. All right, and wrap it up.
1: September 13th, uh, 1925, Mel Torme, The Velvet Fog, makes his debut uh, as a human being. Yes.
0: Mel Torme, I'm not going to say he invented scat singing, but he perfected it. I'm a huge fan of the sitcom from the 80s, Night Court. The the head character there, Harry, he was a big Mel Torme fan. That's how how I first learned about Mel Torme. All right, so now we move on to... The Worst Song Ever. And what do we have for The Worst Song Ever this week? Mr. McGlarge Huge. All right,
1: worst song ever, 1993, uh, on the album Ami Me Custa by the Spanish dance uh, band Los Del Rio is the song. If you've never heard it, you're full of baloney. Yeah. Uh, the, Mac- the Macarena. Still being performed as a dance in preschools and early learning centers across the country. And for a short time was a huge dance craze here in the United States. I'll say around the world, actually. I would say around the world. So I missed this one. So I was in England when this song was popular in the United States.
0: I should be so lucky.
1: And then when I came to the United States, it was became popular, I guess, in England. Oh, wow. When I came back. So I missed this one. I had the opposite reaction to "I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt" by Rightside Fred, which was popular in England when I was there, and then became popular in England, uh, here in New England when I was back home. So,
0: oh wow. yes, strange times. So the the, the story with the uh, the Macarena is it's it's a song by now uh, Los Del Rio. Now Los Del Rio are these like two yep. old guys that play like Spanish music. Like this song actually has no business right. being popular. Now if you hear the original of it, let's let's play a little bit of the original now. See what I mean? That, that that has no real business being popular, uh, in, like in, in America. Right, that's that's a a, a niche-y kind of right. music, right? Yep. Now the Bayside Boys stumbled across yep. these guys, and they were like, "Oh, we're gonna put this like <laughs> right behind it." Didn't they put overdub English lyrics too? Well, that was the thing too. Like the original song, the Los Del Rio version, Macarena is yep. a girl's name. The, the you know they're they're fawning for her love or whatever. But in the in the, this Bayside Boys remix version. All they kept was the chorus and then they have like these girls like talking and it's like now Macarena is a girl that's going to cheat on her boyfriend while he's away in the service and the the most famous line in the song is she's like,
1: (laughs) Now, come on, what was I supposed to do? He was out of town and his two friends were so fine. Two friends?
0: (laughs) Lady. Yeah. pump the brakes there. (laughs) Jesus. So it does that, bada, bada, hey, Macarena, and then it sounds like they go, I yep. like that, right? Yep. In the original, it sounds like somebody clearing popcorn out of their throat. It's more like a, kind of noise. Nice. Hey, Macarena. Uh, <laughs> nice. So, I mean, then there was like a little cute little dance that went through it. It had like five or six, you know, very simple steps You still steps see these at
1: any wedding you will attend between now and the heat death of the universe. So...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, dance dances that follow certain songs and no, you know, that's nothing new. There's the...
1: Electric slide.
0: Electric slide. Uh, I mean, go, back, go back to the 50s. There was the hustle. Well, that's the, locomotion. the 70s. Locomotion. Locomotion, the hand, hand jive. Drive, the twist. Right? Twist, right? Now, shortly after the Macarena came out, there was like, you know how record companies are. When there's a huge hit, they're like, let's do something just like it. There was a, a, like not a follow-up song, but like a copycat song. It was by this this trio of girls. I believe they were sisters. And their name was, I, I'm not even making this up, Lost Ketchup. <laughs> and, and the name of the song was The Ketchup Song. Okay. Their dance that went through it was basically a combination of the hand jive and the Macarena. If you're like, you got a memory of a, of a goldfish, you can only get like three steps in. It was like hand over hand, two hitchhiking motions, hands up in the air and making knees wobble. That was a dance that went with the Ketchup song. And, uh, I have no memory at all of this song. It's, it's ridiculous. The best part about the song is the chorus is, I, this is the way I imagine it happening. You know the Rapper's Delight song there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. So you know the part? It's like a, a repeating phrase in the song that says the hip, the, the hop hip, to the hip
1: to the hip hop hop, and you don't stop. Yep. Now yep.
0: picture a, a person that doesn't speak English, thinking that this is, like all right. You remember the song "I'm a Loser" by Beck? Yes. Okay, and there's a line that says "soy open de doy" or whatever it says, right? It's something in Spanish, right? Right. But it sounds like he's saying "so open the door." But that's not what he's saying. So right. these people that thought that this hip hop, they made up some Spanish lyric that phonetically sounds like hip hop hip hop but they actually has lyrics. Oh. And that is the chorus to the ketchup song. Hold on. I'm I just see. I'm done. I'm just going to play it. Here it is. oh my gosh so yeah terrifying so go yeah go macarena i am mad at the world but mostly america for the rest of my life for that song becoming popular
1: wow <laughs> oh, come on there's always a space for stupid dance songs you know what i mean there's always i mean it's, it's gonna be something that brings a little like ridiculous joy to the world yeah. And and if it's and if it's if it's dancing around and putting your hands on your shoulders or opposite shoulders and then on your opposite hips and then shaking your ass around and then turning 45 degrees and clapping, like if that makes you happy and there's a song that goes with it so much the better, you know I, I will say that you know for songs like this, going to the one that both Bill and I and I'm sure everybody else that listens to this will know, the Hokey Pokey yes. when I when I go roller skating still. Yeah. And we do the hokey pokey on Saturday afternoons. I always do it.
0: Oh, I was hoping you could say you always fall makes, over.
1: <laughs> I always, no, I always fall over, but I always do it, <laughs> even though it break my hips. But no, I still do it because it's fun to do. It's like it's a funny thing that ties me back to some weird point in my life. Apparently, when the hokey pokey was an important thing, and you know, I'm sure the macarena is like that too. And people who hear it at their wedding, all of a sudden they hear it on you know some radio show, and they're like, I remember the day I got married. <laughs> you know. I drank so much pink champagne, I vomited tacos for six hours straight on my wedding.
0: Yeah. Hey, Michael. and then he went out of town, and his two friends were so fine.
1: <laughs> turns out they were just there to pump my stomach. <laughs> Go
0: figure. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the show for this week. All right. We will see you next week. Say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. See you later, yeah. everybody.
1: <laughs> Bye, guys. Catch you later, Bill. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music find us or message us on facebook and instagram at Twibly or t-w-w-w-b-l-y subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends they probably need a cool podcast to listen to as well and if you don't like this week's episode there'll be one next week and it'll probably be better